Hi, everyone. This is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries. We are an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. And uh, as we uh, are broadcast live on Sunday, October 15th, uh, we just want to let you know that we record our show on the Monday prior to the Sunday of that it's broadcast. So our show on Sunday, October 8th, that failed to acknowledge the war uh, that is currently going on in the land of Israel was because we had recorded the show uh, on the Monday prior to October 8th. And we, although there is a war going on, we will continue to preach reconciliation through Yeshua HaMashiach because as Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body or reconcile both of us in one body for God through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So we are preaching the peace that can only be known through the cross of Yeshua, that's our salvation, HaMashiach, our Savior. And we want to just pray for peace in the land of Israel and peace among all who believe in God. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and it is the gift of God. So what are we going to talk about today, Jerry? want to say good morning to uh, you guys and to our audience. We're so happy that you are here with us. Our Torah portion is uh, the beginning of uh, Genesis, the first five chapters of Genesis plus uh, the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 6. And our Haftorah is from Isaiah 42 and 43. And our New Testament reading is John chapter 1, uh, the first five verses. So the, uh, the Torah portion begins, of course, with those famous words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I wanted to just touch on the idea that those first uh, words, In the beginning, God is really uh, a clue to uh, what we think about the nature of reality. The uh, Torah, the Bible as a whole, takes the existence of God as a given. And that all that we see in the physical realm exists because before it, God existed. And it also accounts for the idea then that uh, as contingent human beings, uh, we exist because of something outside of ourselves, that we are accountable to that thing that has uh, allowed for our existence. And that thing, of course, is God. God is the sovereign creator. He does things, it says in uh, Psalm 115, he is in heaven. He does as he pleases. And so if we are talking about how we understand the world and how things, uh, what is ultimate reality, what is ultimate truth, what is the foundation of all things, 
Uh, we as biblical people have what we call a biblical worldview, and it begins with these words, in the beginning, God. And so we're in a time, uh, and I guess as for mankind ever since Adam sinned, uh, we, th this time has existed in the conflict of worldviews, who's going to be the, the ultimate authority, right? For those of us who are coming at that question from the Bible's standpoint, we say that God is the ultimate authority and that within our day-to-day uh, -day living, he has communicated his, his uh, will and his ways to us through his word. And so in a practical way, then the scriptures become the authority for uh, faith and practice, as it's said traditionally. So, so what do we believe? The authority for what we believe comes from what the Scripture teaches. How do we live? What is our practice? Uh, it is also given to us in the authority of Scripture. And so we have what we call a biblical worldview because it centers reality upon God, upon his existence, and then upon the revelation of uh, who he is, uh, in his character, that great name that we've talked about in Exodus 34, and then uh, the revealed written word that he's given to us, and then, of course, the ultimate revelation of God himself in the person and the works of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. So this is our biblical worldview, and it is framed from the very beginning with the understanding that everything that is about to occur in the, in, the, in the story of creation and then in the story of what happens after creation and how human history begins and how it unfolds, all of these things begin with God. To take another viewpoint, a, a very popular one at this time, is, is what's called the materialist viewpoint. And that says that ultimate reality is matter, physical atoms, right? And the thing about worldviews, you know, we've talked about uh, those who make idols become like them. The uh, outgrowth of a biblical worldview that says that there's a God who purposely made us, who gave us instructions and to whom we are accountable, uh, that leads to certain philosophical, I guess, uh, standpoints. It, it says, first of all, that since all are created by God, all have equal value before God. And that all deserve, well, let me, let me throw this in, that all are not only created by God, but they're created by God in his image, right? So that Every person not only is equal in value, but also is due respect and dignity because of being image bearers. So there's 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 a there's a, a, a a viewpoint about mankind that comes out because we we take this position. If we say instead though that uh, we are just the result of chance, random evolution of matter colliding in a particular way, then my existence is random and accidental. Yours is random and accidental. I have no commitment or no reason to treat you as anything other than a, a reaction to how you treat me. If you treat me well, I'll be nice to you. If you treat me bad, I'm coming after you. Well, that's, that is, you know, law of the jungle, um, survival of the fittest, uh, might makes right, whatever you want to call it, that that's a consequence of a, 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 a worldview, right? Um, the other big thing that comes out of holding a biblical worldview then is not simply the equal dignity of all human beings, but the idea that there you were made for a purpose and that you have uh, a free will that allows you to make uh, moral choices. People who hold a materialist viewpoint really believe that ultimately you are a product of your DNA and you dance to its tune, I think is exactly how Richard Dawkins said it. You don't have any free will. You, you, you think you do, you act like you do, but you don't really. 
And therefore, whatever you do is already predetermined and has no ultimate purpose. It is simply part of another blockchain of random choices and random events. So I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on all this. I just bring it up at the beginning to say the Bible does not try and explain God. The Bible does not try and help us or, 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 or make a case for God. The Bible simply states, matter-of-factly, in the beginning, God. And I want to say that faith in that statement allows us to understand what comes next. If we have no faith in that statement, then we will not understand what's going on in the Bible. Yeah, and I, I think there are two other, uh, I guess the word is corollaries of the biblical worldview. One is if God is the creator, he deserves our worship and praise. He is sovereign. And, and the fact that we as his creation can even conceive of him, I mean, not that we can understand him or conceive of him completely or any come even closer, but that we can conceive of him enough to worship him is such a gift. Mm -hmm. And secondly, that the spiritual precedes the material. The biblical worldview is, is very clear that prior to the material was the spiritual and that, you know, should rock our boat in our current, uh, you know, universal worldview that, you know, that we drive cars and have washing machines and dishwashers and all this great technology that works. So it's very easy to be lulled into the sense that that's what's real. Mm -hmm. But what's real we don't even see what's real because the spiritual precedes the material. Those are such excellent points, Lee, yeah. that, that really, really drives home. And also, I think, uh, Jerry, is, is having a biblical worldview helps you make good, sound decisions in everyday life. And that's what, it, that's what it's done more for me than I can think of anything else. Yeah. Do you have anything specific you want to point well, to? I, I think we all we all say that but how how has that actually played out in in one or two occasions well just like for, in early in my career just doing job searching of of a asking the lord what path do you want me on and at the time when i was leaving one company and starting a business on myself i said i had 11 different providers or reps that i could rep for and i prayed and and lord picked me to the right one Ten of them went out of business within the last couple in, in a few years, but I was with the one that stayed the, for the uh -huh. duration. So I could have easily uh, gone a different direction and suffered the consequences. But God was with me on this on this decision making, and um, He put me in line. Yeah, that's great. And 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 I just wanted to tribute one more comment to uh, Joe Combe, our friend Joe. He said, and it really as deeply affected me and stuck with me, he said, all of creation is the overflow of God's love. That the source of creation is love. Mm -hmm. Is God, God is love, and all of creation is the overflow of God's love. And if we could only see his creation with those eyes, how transformed we would be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, having a world, biblical worldview, you know that, that God loves you and his creation, as, as Lee just said, but, but you also know that, that and, and I can read one of our readings is Genesis um, 4-7, and, and when God is talking to Cain, he says, if you do right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at it, the door. Its desire is for you. You must learn how to master it. And I think, you know, in our efforts of, of seeking God and wrestling with our sin, 
that to know that there's there's a divide is there's a divide there that we will choose what's right with a with a biblical biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. So and our, that sin that he's that you know that that we talk about it truly does that the enemy behind that sin wants to destroy you and your family mm-hmm. if you can get to it. Mm-hmm. So but making sound moral and biblical decisions protects us and provides for us. I think. Yeah, we really. Uh in some ways, I've only scratched the surface here as you're talking. Uh, the existence of God means there's a morality. Yes. The existence of God means there is absolute truth, something that our generation really has rejected. Uh, the existence of God means that there are real standards of beauty and ugliness, you know, what God calls abomination. Um, so so without, that, without God... Uh, I, I forget who, who said it, uh, but it's, it's a famous statement. Without God, everything is permissible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so God provides the standard for what is truly right and wrong. Yes. And if, we, if we don't start out with God at the beginning, then we're, we're, we're down to something about naked power is going to enforce what's right and wrong, right? Right, and, and at first he shares his law with us, and then he shared his son with us. And I think that's a, the, the, the whole foundation of, of who God is and how much love he has for us. Yeah. Well, we want to get to the scripture because uh, it's just so profound to us. Uh, as we were getting ready to go on air, uh, Lee was saying something about the arc of this, even this little portion of the, of the Torah. It begins with God creating and finishing up his work and seeing that everything is good. He says that uh, when he finished with uh, creating man, he said it was very good. And then uh, we have the end of this portion of the Torah uh, ends with the idea that God looked on the uh, hearts of men and saw it was uh, evil continuously and just in this short little passage, we have the, this, this tremendous arc of the story that goes from, from the good creation to the evil intents of man that God wants to destroy it all. And what a, what a picture that is of God's mercy. And I don't want to get ahead of the story, uh, because but the first verse of next week's portion is, but... <laughs> Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that little section is a mirror, I think, in some ways of Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? Genesis chapter 3 begins, the man and the woman are, are, are in God's perfect environment. But they, they are given a task to serve and work, to keep and protect, to guard the garden. And they've been given dominion over all of God's creation, including the uh, beasts, the animals of the field, of which the serpent was one, right? And so when, when that temptation came in the form of the serpent, uh, one of the commentators says that they failed on two levels, that they didn't exercise their dominion over the serpent, and they failed because they did not guard the garden. And so uh, in our uh, Jewish commentators, I really like the way they put this part about this whole narrative that's going on. Um, They're making the point that there's no explanation of how creation works, right? Just day one, God did this. Day two, God did that. There's no Uh, explanation of the process. And so they talk about creation as a deep mystery that can be comprehended only through tradition transmitted by God to Moses. What we do know is that Adam and Eve, the forerunners of humanity, had the mission of bringing about the fulfillment of creation by carrying out God's commandment. They failed and were driven into exile. And I thought, wow, what a powerful way to put that. And if you think about that paradigm, they failed and were driven into exile, that you could lay that over all of humanity's 
efforts, right? That we failed and were driven into exile. What does God say? You know, is my arm too short to save? No, your sins have separated you. You failed and went into exile. That was true of the nation of Israel. It's true of Adam and Eve. It's true of you and me before we come to faith in Yeshua. I yes. just thought that is really a, a, a great overlay for, for the it whole is. story because then we get to, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we get to, but God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We get to, for you are uh, saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. We failed. We went into exile, but God wasn't done. You know, one thing about, and this is the first instance that I realized that, you know, Noah was the, was the last righteous person on the earth before the flood was sent. But he waits, and he, God waited in his mercy for, for, for the last one, you know. Wait, he waited 120 years while he was building the mm -hmm. ark to do that. Then he waits again for Sodom and Gomorrah. He went down to five people. Remember, Abraham says, if you can find five, I won't destroy the place, or ten. And then he went to, um, and then when uh, Babylonians, he's, he, he's talking to, um, God's talking to Jeremiah and says, hey, if you can find one person that does righteous in Jerusalem, I will spare the city. So God is a very long-suffering, very patient God who, who waits for us to turn around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... The uh, great story then is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When the earth was astonishingly empty with darkness on the surface of the deep and the divine presence is how it uh, translates the Ruach here, uh, hovered on the surface of the waters, God said, let there be light. So There was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated between the light and the darkness. God called the light day, and the, to the darkness he called night. So the, God's first act is this creation of light. And I know, Lee, you've got a lot of thoughts on that subject. Well, I, I, I think, you know, when you said we're not shown how God creates, but what we're shown is he said, let there be light. And and it's interesting if you look at the root letters of let in Hebrew and God, <clears throat> when God answers Moses and says, well, who should I tell him that sent me? And he says, I am that I am. You know, the great I am is the source of creation through the word let and it, and it, and I just wanted to read John 1 our new testament portion because it's so powerful when you look at the 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 concordance with light and darkness and the separation of light and darkness John 1 through 5 <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because he said, let, and, and creation happened. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. Chaim, and we've talked about how Jesus, Yeshua, is life, and the life was the light of all people. Mm -hmm. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So it's this incredible sense that all of creation is brought into being through the Word of God, and the word of God is Yeshua, and Yeshua is life, and he is the light of the world that overcomes darkness. Amen. And it's such a beautiful rendition of creation. Well, when John does that, we're, I think we're meant to clearly uh, recall Genesis 1. 
And so if darkness covered the face of the earth and God said, let there be light, as John's writing that, he is thinking the same thing. Darkness covered the earth when Yeshua appeared. And that's what uh, Yeshua alludes to. Uh, well, I can't remember for sure if it's uh, John's commentary. Uh, in, in John chapter 3, let me, let me look that up real quickly. Uh, but in the conversation with Nicodemus, uh, where we have our famous John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, <clears throat> that chapter concludes with a little bit further discussion. Or, well, it doesn't conclude, but it, that, that section goes on a little bit further. Um, Yeah, this is, this is Jesus uh, continued talking. I couldn't remember if it was Jesus uh, speaking or if this was John commenting. But after that verse, it says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. And here's the light again. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So what is the darkness that John has in mind you know, in, in, in mirroring this passage? The darkness is the evil works of mankind, which kind of drives us back to the Noah idea. You know, God looked and saw the intentions of man's hearts were evil continually. So there's this thread uh, that carries all the way through from Genesis to Yeshua's appearance that uh, the world was created by God to be good. Light has come into the world. Men love darkness instead of light. Uh, but the light, the darkness, does not overcome it. And, and then it says in 21, but those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So it's this separation through Torah, through God's morality that that you said if you believe in God then you believe in there there is a true morality right there's mm -hmm. good and evil there's yes. not and whatever you go morality there is good and evil there is light and dark and what did God said I put before you life and good or death and evil choose life and if we talked about that in deuteronomy we made it so clear that he's talking about choose yeshua because we come into the world through the sin of adam we're born into a world of sin and it and what is born in sin cannot overcome sin it requires being that Yeshua was born of the Spirit and incarnate in the body, that he could overcome sin and death and darkness. Mm -hmm. And it's in, in our faith in Yeshua's overcoming that through the cross and his resurrection that we have the the one new man that we can be a new man be freed from the bondage of sin and darkness and come into the light and do good deeds that are true and in the light amen, amen. you know one thing about having and going back to the just biblical worldview that we're talking about now is that 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 having being reborn with yeshua and having the light of life within you, you you know of you you're certain about things. You know you're certain about your your life here. You're, you're certain about there's a God. You're certain where you're going. You're certain to where you will go when you leave this earth. So the certainty that He brings with the light, it all helps me greatly. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, when you were saying about uh, sin cannot overcome sin, it made me think of Martin Luther King's uh, statement that hate cannot defeat hate. Only love can do that. And we live in a world that's violent. Violence cannot defeat violence. Only love can do that. And in the same way, then sin can only be overcome by something that is perfect and beautiful, and that was Yeshua. I just think that was so... so and so, and, so and God... 
<clears throat> in the beginning God, in the beginning was darkness, and the divine presence, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, Spirit creates God is the creator and the means of creation is through the spirit and creates out of darkness, out of the void. He separates light and darkness, life and death, good and evil. And God is in control of both. Mm -hmm. And God will win. Amen to that. Our God reigns and good will triumph over evil and light will triumph over darkness. And that's what I, where I put my faith and my trust in God the Creator. He is the creator of it all. Mm -hmm. And he separates it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the idea of separation is, is pretty powerful throughout these first few verses. He separates the light and the darkness. He separates the heavens above and the water below. Then he separates the water and the land. There's a lot of separation that goes on here. Um, <clears throat> the uh, psalmist expresses it this way. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and everything in it. You know, that song, he's got the whole world in his hands, speaks truth because everything belongs to him. Um, we jumped all the way over to John and talked about light. Uh, the next big idea, I guess, we've talked about the separation. And when you look at the days of creation, God creates a space and then he fills it. So he makes the heavens on the third day, the, uh, and I, I, I maybe not don't have the, the right timing there, but he, he makes a space, the heavens, and he fills it with birds. He makes a space, the waters, and he fills it with fish. He makes the dry land, and he, and he fills it with animals. And then, of course, the creation of man. That this is the way God works in creating new things. And so I think of our little ministry here, <laughs> Uh, he, he created some kind of space, and we're not even sure exactly how to define the space. We're kind of maybe like, like people in a room, a dark room, groping our way, trying to find out where all the, the, the space ends or the configuration of the space. But there's a space here, and God filled it by his grace. And that's what we're encouraging you and your lives, our listeners, that there's a space. If you're following Yeshua, there's a space that God's creating for you that he wants you to fill. Now, that might be in a marriage, it might be in a job, it might be in, in some, some neighborhood ministry. I, I couldn't possibly say, but I, I, I really believe that this is how God makes new things. He, he makes a space, and then he calls us to fill it. He calls us to come alongside. You know, what does it say in Corinthians? You know, some people plant, we're, we're all workers in God's vineyard. Some people plant, some people water, but God gives the increase. Well, well, you're a worker in God's vineyard. He's made a space somewhere for you to go and fill for God's glory. Is, I, I just think that's really, really cool. So I guess then uh, the next big event in this uh, story is the creation of man. And when we look at this, this is very controversial. This has become controversial in our day uh, because we, we live in a culture that somehow can't define what a woman is, right? We, we know all those battles that are going on uh, in the world about transgenderism and everything else. What is a man? And, you know, uh, in the beginning, God, if, if that's our starting point, then we have some very specific parameters in which to understand what humanity is. Isn't that right? Right. And, you know, God is a God of order. How, he, how you just explained everything, Jerry, about the ground, the seas, how he separates everything, the birds, the animals. And then on day six and a half, he, he forms man. He makes man. And he makes, it, makes man out of the ground, which I find fascinating because the elements that are in the ground are in <coughs> us today, you know. Mm -hmm. so. so, Jerry, I, I would uh, like your uh, insight into uh, the difference between ruach, spirit or breath, and neshama, uh, which is the, the, 
the what God breathed into his nostrils because in Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Mm-hmm. And and I've I've you know I've struggled with this because I do believe that this breath of life that God deposited in us is His Spirit. That that you know Augustine talks about that every man has a God-sized hole that they're trying to fill, and this <clears throat> this is like when He created us in His image. It's because he he breathed into us. He put himself into us, and then we became a living soul. And it and it and it goes back to this difference between spirit and soul. That you know that that I think Hebrews talks about that the that the word is the the sword of the spirit. The word divides between spirit and soul so what what's your take on this this powerful line here in genesis 2 7 well uh i don't really have a, a clear picture of the difference between those two ideas i think about if God breathed his spirit into us, how does that jibe with New Testament teaching and even Old Testament uh, insights into the the Holy Spirit being outside of people when to come on people for various occasions? And then the, the radical difference of the Holy Spirit's operation and um, dwelling place, if you will, uh, that comes with, with, with faith in Yeshua, that now the Holy Spirit is in those who follow Yeshua, which kind of would negate if the Neshama is the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So, so there's, there's, there's the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, but there's, there, there's the wind or the breath of life, I think, that, that, that as a more physical idea of, of breath because he becomes a living soul. That, that word is also used for, for the creation of animals, right? The, 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 they do not have uh, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, but they have this breath of life. So, so I tend to think that the Neshama here is a, a more physical idea than, than actually receiving the Holy Spirit because it seems then that if God breathes the Holy Spirit into us, then that is kind of contradictory to some of the other ways that we see the Holy Spirit at work and in people in other places. You well, don't think well, so? Well, no, because the word is nephesh when it mm-hmm. says that man became a living soul, and nephesh does refer to animals or you know they have a soul and um and and then there's this dividing the spirit and the soul and so you know i i i think that somehow when god breathes breath into the nostril of man that god is putting himself into man and i'm not saying that it's the same as the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh. I don't think Neshama is the same as Ruach HaKodesh. And, and, you know, maybe it is, you know, something that's just beyond our ability mm-hmm. to understand. But when, when the last breath leaves our lungs and we, you know, are no longer a living soul, you know... What is that Neshama, you know, that... Well, one of the problems also is the word nefesh itself. We tend to think, because it's translated so often as soul, that is strictly talking about an immaterial substance, when in fact nefesh, if you study it, involves the whole of human existence, physical, as well as the immaterial part of us. And that gets into a whole big discussion about 
uh, are we are we a two-part or three-part being? Are we simply uh, soul and body, or are we body, soul, and spirit? And there's a lot of debate in theological circles about that, and I think that it's it's maybe sometimes hard to untangle. Uh, but in some way, in some way, I think we have to, I think at least, the uh, the neshama here is is not the same as, as getting the Holy Spirit, but it is it is connected in some way. I think to the idea that that precedes it, uh, that we're made in God's image. Right. And the verse that that comes to my mind here is that one in Ecclesiastes that He's planted eternity in our hearts. Right. That there's something about God, some knowledge of God that's inherent in in the 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 image of God that resides in each of us, which we can either accept or deny. Right. I, th- I, I, I think that it's, it maybe is, is connected in that way to this idea here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, do you when, when, when you make in, in God's image, I, I, I think something happened. Um, when, when Adam was, was walking with God before the fall, they were, they were in communication, constant communication. Mm-hmm. But after the fall communication started leaving mankind over the generations and that's where i think that <coughs> that that inner void comes in, in our lives before we accept christ that inner void's there until we accept it and then god fills it so i think you know when we're talking about his image we talk about one thing we talk about the fall it's something else and then you know god in his in his love and his efforts to reach us and restore us he gives us yeshua and then when he comes and lives in our hearts, it's part at a good, it's a partial restoration of who we, who Adam once was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, and I think you're referring to Genesis one twenty six, and my translation says, and God said, let us. God said, quote, let us. There's that let. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's very interesting, the hour there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think as, as, as New Covenant followers of Yeshua, we see a hint of God's Trinitarian nature. Yes. Um, we've already been introduced to the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Now we have here... Well, then all of the God said, God said, but then here we have God speaking in some way in a plural fashion about himself. So we, we look at this as, as a way of uh, understanding that God existed eternally uh, as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What I find compelling for our time, though, is the part about uh, he, he created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And <clears throat> but before we can can we before we talk about the male and female part, I just want to read the commentary the rabbis wrote here about in our image after mm-hmm. our likeness because it's beautiful. Man is made in the image and likeness of God. His character is potentially divine. God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Man alone among living creatures is gifted like his creator with moral freedom and will. He is capable of knowing and loving God and of holding spiritual communion with him. And man alone can guide his actions in accordance with reason. On this account, he is said to have been made in the form and likeness of the Almighty. Because man is endowed with reason, he can subdue his impulses in the service of moral and religious ideals and is born to bear rule over nature. Psalm 8 says of man, O Lord, thou hast made him but little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. I just mm-hmm. thought that was yeah. a beautiful commentary. And, you know, it's an aspiration. It's aspirational. And you think of what would have happened if Adam and Eve had resisted. 
because they had the potential, right? Mm -hmm. But they did not follow through with the potential that God had built into them being made in their image. Uh, I had a similar comment in, in the, the rabbi commentary that I read that we're in God's image because we possess a sense of his morality, reason, and free will. So those, those three ideas came through exactly in what you read that uh, according to reason we can resist the impulses uh, and we can recognize what's true and good and act in a moral fashion. However this worked as, as in God's plan, this, this uh, what we call headship of Adam over all that would proceed from him, when Adam fell, as the old McGuffey reader says, I think, when Adam, Adam's fall, it felled us all. And so that potential for doing right and choosing good went out the window with that, right? right? Because that's what Paul talks about then consistently, that we are slaves to sin. We are in bondage to sin. Until those chains are broken through faith in Yeshua, we will never be able to follow through in a perfect fashion. You know, sometimes, sure, we'll choose the good, the right. Uh, not always for the right reasons, perhaps, even. But we are going to continually be bound by sin until we put our faith in Yeshua. So that image of God, we talk about uh, a fallen image, a tarnished image, uh, a broken image uh, in, in, in fallen man. Um, but but it's, it, it is there. And, and that is the reason why, as, as followers of Yeshua, we still maintain that we need to treat every human being with dignity, because even though it's tarnished or broken, the image of God remains on every single human being we run into. Well, you, you probably could talk about this a little bit better than I. What, what is the weight of glory about uh, every human being you meet is what? Uh, C.S. Lewis says that every human being you meet is either moving in one direction or the, or the other, either towards God, towards heaven, or away from God, towards hell, and that every interaction we have with them is either helping them in one direction or the other, and that is the weight of glory. That is the weight of our, of our, the weight, the burden mm -hmm. that we carry interacting with our neighbor. Are we treating them with the dignity and the mm -hmm. justice mm -hmm. that they're moving All towards right. heaven? Are we interacting in a way that is, you know, encouraging sin, bringing out sin, mm -hmm. and moving both of us really in yeah. another direction? Yeah, the, the, I think he said something to the effect that every human being is either moving one of those two directions and, and is therefore uh, on his way to becoming something so glorious or something so heinous you know uh that but but there's there's a certain dignity that belongs to that person in whichever direction they're moving uh because of the free choices that they're making um just really powerful idea there um all, all because we we are image bearers we 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 carry god and what we don't want to say though is that we are god because that's a whole different religious philosophy called pantheism, right? Mm -hmm. Or panentheism, depending on w which, which part of that you go. We are not part of the divine. That's, that's the, one, the one thing I think we talked about divisions. We, we should state categorically at the beginning also, there is a division. <laughs> God is God. The creation is creation. They do not intermingle in any, any sense where they, they're... they're, they're like if, if you dissolve water in, or, or salt in water, you somehow have a solution of salt water. That, that does not happen with God and his creation. God is distinct from his creation. Jesus creates the bridge because God enters into his creation at his own uh, choice by his divine good pleasure. But that doesn't bring creation into God. Good point, Jerry. Okay? So... The other thing that, that comes out of that is this idea of having dominion. And what God had called us to in that dominionship, uh, 
there's there's a, uh, an idea of monarchy uh, that we're not as familiar with because we're Americans, but this thing of, of regency. Do you guys know about that? No. If, if you have a regent. Uh, regents are rulers in place of a king when he is either a minor or somehow or other incapacitated. And what God calls us to here when he says have dominion is a regency. <laughs> he is the regent. <laughs> he is the one ruling over us as we are given authority over the kingdom. Okay, so we are the minor <laughs> that the regent is watching over. He's given us a regency, in other <laughs> words, when he says, I want you to have dominion. He didn't just hand it over to us and was hands off. You know, the fact remains, as Paul said, uh, in him we live and move and have our being. Right? We already said he's got the whole world in his hands. But what he did was he allowed us to put our hand on the plow, so to speak. <coughs> he's, he's given us dominion. He's given us the authority to rule. We gave that over in Adam's fall, right? right. We gave up dominion. And now the ground is cursed because of us. One other thing I wanted to draw, uh, just on a side note, really, at this point. But uh, when God says... Uh, he, he made man from, from the ground uh, that the word for man is Adam, Adam. And ground is the female or the feminine expression uh, of that same word, Adama. So Adam was created from Adama. And we also have to recognize that Adam, man, is the term used for mankind as well as becoming a proper noun, a name for the first man. And that's where we sometimes get into trouble with this passage, I think, in, in, in unpacking it. You know, the whole, whole um, first it was feminism and now it's, it, it's moved on to other isms, including transgenderism, but the rejection of patriarchy and man and you can't use he anymore as a pronoun to describe a whole group of people because there might be women in it. We've got all kinds of, of workarounds in our language. We, now we have to say he or she instead of, you know, in the olden days, it, you could get by with saying just he or him because it was recognized that that was a word that encompassed mankind. We, we don't talk like that anymore because our culture has, has changed. But in the Bible... When he says, let us make man in our image, he is talking about mankind, not a male. Right. And that distinction is really drawn out because the last line says, and these are completely different Hebrew words, he made them male and female. So that in the providence of God, God's fullest expression is found in creation of a male and a female. So in some way, that also shows us that the reality of God is more than singular. It, it's some kind of plurality, at least. We believe three. But this is why the two, when they come together, become one flesh. Because in that union, they best represent God as God is, right? And that's why Paul loves to use that picture of a man and a woman coming together in union of one flesh to describe the one new man now uh, of Christ and his body of Messiah and his followers. All of that is embodied here in this, uh, in this passage. But we were, we were talking about dominion and the rabbis that I've, I've read over here talk clearly about the fact that uh, by not exercising dominion in the confrontation with the serpent, they gave up that ground, right? And so now the ground is cursed for Adam's sake. The woman is given a, a, a particular uh, burden that she has to go through pain in childbirth. Uh, Adam is going to have to work and there's going to be pain. So, so what's really introduced here is this idea of Constant pain. <laughs> yeah, but, but Noah uh, removed the curse off the ground. I mean, God removed the curse off the ground on the covenant with Noah, I believe. 
and that that way he 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 restored a lot of what um what Adam had lost. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's part of who God's nature is. He's he's reaching down and trying to restore and right. help us all the time. Well, we're coming up towards the end of our time. We've got a few minutes left and there's still a lot of ground between uh, where we were in Genesis 2:7 to the end of uh, Genesis chapter 5. Uh, which part do you want to take a couple minutes to really home in on before we call it a, a session? We've got uh, the fall. We've got Cain and Abel. We've got uh, the, the line of Seth, right, is introduced. And we meet the line of Cain versus the line of Seth, God's, the godly people and the ungodly people, right, separation. And then, of course, the introduction into chapter 6, how God uh, looked on the earth and saw the wicked of man's heart continually. Well, I think it, it comes down to the original conversation of a worldview, wouldn't you think, Jerry? What What, what do you mean, Bob? I mean, just um, the worldview, how you would look at it. And, you know, I, I came to the Lord when I was 23, and and sin, as I know it now, is destructive. I can see it. I can see it in, you know, in, in my decisions I made in my past, but also, also others. But people in the world today often look at sin as an opportunity, whereas we know with a reborn heart that sin is destructive mm-hmm. and I think that is the worldview and a lot of the worldviews that you reread about the patriarchs and the people in, in, in the Bible that what world what worldview do they have you know what what are the consequences they suffered what are the blessings that they had and it comes down I think to, to you know is the worldview that that you do and when you make decisions Worldview ultimately is, is, is the things that I believe to be true that guide my choices, right? And so uh, very clearly, uh, earlier I was thinking about this. I don't remember the exact conversation, but the most fearsome times, some of the most fearsome times in Israel's history is the period of the judges where it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And the Proverbs say, say, there's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it, or the, the pathway that it leads to, is death. death. It's worldview, when you think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, uh, I can't let this pass by without talking about Genesis 6, <clears throat> 5 uh, through 7, um, because it... It shows something about the heart of God that we don't like to look at, and we need to. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And I think, you know, that we are taught in our Western civilization to suppress and repress grief and to know that God... You know, you can say, oh, it's anthropomorphizing God to say that God grieved, but God himself, it says that it grieved him to his heart and that part of love is grieving. We only grieve those we love. And because God is infinite love, his grief over the evil inclinations of our thought, of the thoughts of our hearts, is also infinite and it and it hurts him so much and he loves us so much that he would give his only begotten son to reconcile that within his own heart amen that's greatly absolutely and that's really what we want to uh end with is that invitation each week that god was grieved because of my sin Lee's, Bob's, your sin. But he was a gracious God and therefore sent his son Yeshua 
to pay for the sins that we couldn't possibly pay, to reconcile us to God, to make us one with him. And so we want to invite you now, if that's where your heart is, to uh, pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, Yeshua, into the world that I might be saved. I ask you in his name to forgive me, to cleanse me from all my sins, and by the power of your Holy Spirit in me to set me on the path of light and right, that I might bring glory to your name. If you've prayed that, we pray it in Yeshua's name. Uh, please let us know at One New Man Ministries International on Facebook, onenewmanministries.org. That's the number one, newmanministries.org, on your uh, interweb. And thanks for being with us, and we hope to have you back next week. God be with you.